go ahead and get started because this is going to be a phenomenal session and I don't want to take one more moment away from these gentlemen. Welcome to Making Missions Matter, exploring the interconnectedness of mission and DEIA work. I'm Dr. Richardson Phillips, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland. I am also um, have the pleasure of sitting my, my first time on the uh, ISM board, so I hope that you are enjoying the conference. I'd like to take just a second to introduce these esteemed speakers. Dr. Nathan J. Sessoms is the principal and CEO of Success Beyond Measure Incorporated, a diversity and educational equity consulting firm. Dr. Sessoms is the former director of the Office of Black Student Services at Loyola Marymount and currently serves as a clinical assistant professor at LMU's Department of Sociology. Mr. Jamal Adams is the principal at LaSalle College Preparatory. Previously, he was the director of equity and inclusion and director of faculty at Loyola High School in Los Angeles, where he also taught economics and African-American studies and served as the head varsity basketball coach. Jamal and Nate are the co-hosts of ISN's podcast, Just Conversations with Jamal and Nate, examining race, justice, and Catholic education. Please take a moment to give a warm welcome to these two speakers. All right, good evening. Good, yeah, good evening. All right, outstanding. So first off, um, before we kind of get going, I do wanna let you guys know that we are recording this. So we are about to start episode, I'm sorry, season two. This is our first episode of the next season. And so we're hoping that we can make this interactive. There are gonna be some questions, some opportunities for feedback from the, from the audience. Um, and so Nate and I really hope that this is a conversation. We've got kind of minimalistic slides um, and really wanna make sure that we lock in and, and take a, a temperature of the room. So just wanted to make sure that you are aware of that. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get it started like we do on all of our podcasts. I don't know if you've listened to us before, but um, bear with us and then we'll get started here. So hello everyone, welcome to uh, Just Conversations with Jamal and Nate. I'm Jamal Adams. And I'm Nate Sessoms. Uh, welcome back and thank you for joining us for the kickoff of season two. Outstanding. For those of you who might be new to the space, Just Conversations is a podcast that's positioned at the nexus of faith and all matters pertaining to race, justice, and Catholic education. We highlight historical and current happenings in the realm of diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism while focusing on solutions, systems changes, and the amplification of voices, working to create a more just and egalitarian society for all. Each episode, we engage in authentic yet provocative dialogue seasoned with critical perspectives, scholarship, and life experiences. We also conduct interviews and we moderate panel discussions featuring campus community leaders. We interrogate issues related to mission identity and answer live questions from listeners. Ultimately, we aim to increase levels of awareness while normalizing conversations on all forms of oppression and marginalization. Right, and we subscribe to the idea that there's room for everybody in the movement. So no matter how much you know or don't know, we invite you to engage us. After all, these are just conversations. Well, again, welcome. And uh, my brother Nate, how are you doing this evening? Doing well, brother. Good to see you as always. Just, just so everybody knows, we should probably, full disclosure. So Jamal and I have been doing the podcast for a year. A year. Uh -huh. We planned it for 
a year yeah, <laughs> before that. Probably more than that. But, <laughs> but this is actually the first time we've actually seen each other and been sort of face-to-face since what? 2016? So no, that's, that seems long. 15? I feel like 1920, maybe so, right before the pandemic. Maybe right Close. before. It, it yeah. seems like it's been a long time. So it's kind of a reunion of sorts. So, um, <laughs> you know, we, we Jamal and I have these kinds of conversations all the time, which is really the impetus for this podcast. Um, season two is, uh, we spent season one really sort of contextualizing a lot of the conversations that were happening post uh, the murder of George Floyd uh, around all forms of oppression and marginalization. And so a lot of that was just highlighting what anti-racism is. For many of you may know that people might talk about anti-racism. It's a very politicized term. A lot of people don't really know what it is, um, critical race theory and the like. So we talked a lot about that. Season two is really about amplifying voices. So when Jamal talked about uh, being interactive and connecting with all of you, we really want to feature students, uh, DEI practitioners, administrators at the secondary level uh, and also in, within higher ed. Um, faculty members, staff. We're really looking to sort of get out and talk about issues, hear other people talking about issues all across the country. So um, we're going to... Boom. Awesome. So first off, we threw out this QR code. We, we really do want to get to know our audience. Um, I might be, if some of you all that are far away, it might be hard to get, but if you grab your phone, take uh, your photo app out, and click there. We're just trying to gather some contact information. If there's something going on in your community that you're a part of and want to be part of our conversation, then please reach out to us. Our, our goal really is to amplify voices, uh, to get more folks on the, on the pod. What we didn't talk about earlier, so I'm going to do this because she's going to be mad at me, but I'm going to say this. Um, we only had two guests last year, and one of those was Dr. Uh, Dr. Richardson, um, who, candidly, that's one of my favorite episodes uh, because she's not only a practitioner, um, but, but just wise, um, grounded, um, and really, um, really amplifies the work in the Cleveland community and beyond. And so I think Nate and I would both attest that we learned as much from, uh, from Dr. Richardson as, as we were probably given all, all year on our, on our podcast. And we're looking for, for other folks and really some young people to be part of what we do. I think before we get to like kind of our contextualization, we talked about it earlier and we want to make sure that we stay on time, but just where did we get started, right? So Nate and I are about the same age, plus or minus a few months. We're still young. <laughs> still young. We're both about to hit the, the big 5-0, or I'm getting there. I'm not. <laughs> but um, our context, like where we started, I met Nate when he was working at LMU doing um, Black Student Services in Los Angeles, and uh, we just happened to be in the same space, and people introduced us. And what we kept finding ourselves talking about were over these 10 years about how can you know, we make a difference. And then truthfully, as black men, right, um, Nate growing up in Cleveland, me growing up in Los Angeles, we really talked about so many of the things that were familiar and different to our experience. Um, as we got to talk to, to the ISN folks, Chris Kerr, we kept saying that like, uh, we thought there was a space in Catholic education for black men that were both um, influenced, were both graduates of Catholic high schools and, and then uh, later in our graduate school work and things of that sort, we continue and then worked in Jesuit or Catholic institutions um, that we thought we had a voice that, uh, that could permeate, that, that folks wanted to hear, and just, that's why we call it Just Conversations. And, and, and uh, thus far, really, um, our, our listenership, um, those that are su subscribing and are part of the podcast have really have exceeded our expectations. So if you are one of our, our listeners, I do want to say thank you. And, uh, thank and again, you. that's kind of where... Uh, we wanted to make sure that we offered that context tonight. 
Absolutely, absolutely. These are again conversations that we have all the time. We've had them over the years, and so it's it's. Um, I, I won't. I, I we try not to generalize and say you know the black community because the black community is not a monolith, Amen. right? But these are conversations that uh, you might find two black men having anywhere, and so uh, these aren't conversations we would typically have publicly, uh, but we decided we would be make ourselves vulnerable and share sometimes when you see things in the news how we really feel about those things or um, how we would like to see them handled. So this is our attempt to sort of open it up so people can get some insight into how we think about things. Uh, but also it's designed to help all of you and, and guide how you might think about things. Um, and so we hope that it's helpful. Uh, if you haven't tuned into the podcast of season one, we certainly invite you to do so for season two. Um, and uh, and you know your thoughts and feedback are always welcome. All right, let's get to All right. contextualizing. All right, let's get to some. So, um, we talk about this a lot in season one, and I think this is always a starting point for us, and it will probably continue to be so for season two. But uh, we always talk about something that we refer to as the post George Floyd era, and so that is the era that we are currently living in. Uh, if you think about the last two and a half years or so since the murder of George Floyd, a lot of things have changed. Um, and so uh, society has certain expectations, um, and, and I, I can give you some examples as we go, but one of those expectations is that um, in ways that we did not prior to May of 2020, uh, people are expected to listen and to learn, right? So if you think about how many of you have been in a conversation with a friend or a colleague or a loved one, and you're getting ready to share something, they just cut you off? Right, yeah, we know how that feels. How, how does that make you feel when that happens? Just anybody, how does it make you feel? Right, I see some thumbs down, <laughs> a lot of thumbs down. You know, devalued, everybody in the room is like, yeah, thumbs down, <laughs> right? Like devalued, right? Like, like you don't matter, like why am I even talking to this person, right? Um, and so that happens a lot in society. Uh, if it's one thing that when people ask uh, us, you know, what the quick fix is to solving a lot of these issues with, with racism and heterosexism and the like, um, you know, we talk about the value of listening, right? Because listening should be pretty easy, right? We control it. So it's not like someone else controls whether, whether we listen. If we focus in, we can kind of zip it and listen and, and learn about new experiences. But typically, um, you know, what you'll hear is, oh, you know, I, I, I experienced it this way. It's like, what? Well, that's stupid. Why would you? If you think about that, what is someone doing when they, when they do that? When they shut themselves off to someone else's experiences, they're really stunting their own growth. Right, so one of the things that we, I like the amens, but I, I appreciate that, thank you so much. Um, so what we're trying to do is highlight this idea that in society now, the expectation is that people are listening, people are paying attention, people are being much more empathetic and they're, and they're demonstrating much more care and compassion. Uh, as they do that, they're learning, right? They're realizing that Jamal and I have been in spaces, we've had these conversations in smaller groups and people will hear us say something that's a lot. I never really thought of that. Wow, that's yeah. really deep. That's because mm -hmm. you're listening, right? When you listen, you tend to learn, right? So listening and learning is something that, that is, is definitely expected. Society also expects that people are educating themselves, right? And not just after some tragic event involving something like police brutality, right? So, so people can always, if people were to go to their phones to type in anti-racist reading list, right? You'd find 150 of them, right? How many times you can look on Netflix and Hulu and all these different platforms and find a documentary by Ava DuVernay or some other acclaimed filmmaker that's telling a story that might be very different than your own, right? So there's never a bad time to pick up a book, read an article, watch a documentary, engage in conversation with someone who has different experiences to make sure that you are educating yourself 
at all times. Jamal, do you want to chime in? Yeah, sure. I, I'll keep us going. Um, you know, again, thinking about where um, we think the work continues to go is that we also want to talk to those of us, particularly are in our different institutions, about staying continually engaged, right? I think um, there's definitely, uh, you know, summer of 2020, uh, as folks are in the streets um, and letting uh, their voices be heard around uh, what we weren't going to accept any longer, right? It's now that we're a couple years removed. How do we continue to stay engaged? You know, um, gatherings like the Nation Family Teach-In are a critical example that these spaces are being created, but how do we take those back to our communities? And so again, these are some of the things that we talk about in our, in our, in our podcast and trying to keep people um, going. You know, the three R's, right, too, is, is, and I think about it now as a principle, um, and when we started launching this, I wasn't a principal, but this idea of as, as leaders, um, and, and you all are leaders in your community, right, that we continue to review, reflect, and revise. Um, things change. Um, and, 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 and the reality of, of doing this work, anti-racist work, DEI work, is that it is one that is all, always renewing itself. And so as, as Nate says, and this is what he does a lot of, he'll text me like, hey, did you see this article? or this new idea, or people are talking about things in this way, shape, or form, um, it's almost like a language, and that, that we have to keep going back to the well, uh, keep, keep trying to understand new things, reflect on new things, revise our way of thinking, right? Continue to push on systems and policies and procedures that do harm and, and try to eradicate them so that people um, can be them best, their best selves in, in all of our, our spaces. Just, and just to follow up on that, um, you know, when we when we talk about as individuals, we're we're thinking about, and particularly with respect to anti-racism, at an individual level, anti-racism is about um, working diligently to be the best version of ourselves. Right? How how can we show up each day a little bit better? How can I be a better listener? How can I be, better, be a better advocate? Right? Um, so, in many ways, as an individual, as individuals. Uh, we're looking to review, reflect upon, and revise our attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs, right? At the same time, institutions, organizations, um, schools are doing the same thing. It just looks a little different. They're reviewing, reflecting upon, and revising their policies, practices, and procedures, right? And if the two can happen at the same time, that's where the magic should happen. Right. So I just want to make sure we're clear on exactly what, when we say revising, reflecting, as Jamal eloquently laid it out, um, there's a place in that for all of us, and there's a place in that for all of our institutions. Right. What we're working toward ultimately are greater levels of transparency. Right. Clarity. Right. And and of course, in society, people want accountability. Amen. People want accountability. So we want to make sure we sort of foregrounded what we're talking about tonight with respect to missions. Um, with this idea of the space that we're in now. Things are very different. Um, and, and we could go through tons of examples. We, we won't because we don't have the time tonight. But if you listen to the podcast, you hear us talking about things that have happened in the last two and a half years that we've never really seen happen before, right? So, you know, B-list actors coming out. And, and before you hear about it saying, I played a character in a movie, and it was in blackface. So before the storm hits, they're coming out and admitting that they didn't make the best choice with respect to their career. Right, that has rarely happened historically. So there are a lot of examples like that. Please check out the podcast for those examples. But we want to make sure we provide that information to start us off. Amen. Have ever seen this graphic before? Yeah. Most times people see the first two panels. In the past two and a half years, the the third panels become much more popular. 
right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to piggyback on that, right? As we see people move from this idea of equity inclusion model, um, really talking about liberation. And, I, and I'll go back to, to what I said a little bit earlier. Um, our hope and dream as we do this work, as we um, lend our voices to the movement, right, is that um, we are in spaces and places and institutions, right, that allow people to live their most authentic self, right? We talk about this all the time. How can uh, we invite people uh, to be their best selves, to listen, right, to, to lift up, to advocate for? Um, and when I really think about, um, you know, the work of the, the teach-in and, and my experience, and I'll pass it back to Nate, it's just that um, I'm always inspired, you know, and been inspired by so many different keynotes and even small breakouts that really are advocating for people, uh, for us to see the best in the human beings that we interact in and to see them for their whole selves. And so um, we want to say that this is like one of our missions um, of the pod going forward. So at this point, sure. I think we're kind of moving to this next realm. And so uh, what we really wanted to hear, or I'll go ahead. Actually, before, before yep. we uh, move on, I just want to make sure we highlight when people look at this slide, because there's actually three really interesting panels. Um, it's sort of a, there's some sort of a temporal component to it, right? At, at one point, 50s, 60s, civil rights movement, we're talking about equality, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone having an opportunity, everyone getting equal access, right? And so from the graphic, you see everybody has a crate, right? Then we started talking about equity, and we're still talking about equity, and, and that's fine, right? But you can see that equity is more about providing those who have been historically marginalized and haven't had the opportunities to get more. Those who need the most get the most, right? The idea of liberation, where we're headed, is this whole idea of, it's not really about crates. It's about moving that wall, right? Which really is a, is a proxy for, um, for systems, right? Systems that, um, that alter our lives such that we find ourselves in need, that, that um, place people in situations where they're residing in food deserts or they're, they're unhoused, right? Um, so, so liberation is where we're headed. And you can notice the really important thing about liberation is um, typically it's tied to the black community, black liberation theology, and so forth. Liberation is a concept that benefits everybody, right? Everybody needs to sort of deconstruct the ideas that they've learned over the years and start anew, right? Decolonizing our minds. We hear a lot about decolonizing our curriculum. That starts with our minds. Um, so liberation is sort of where we're headed. And so we just wanted to highlight, uh, contextualize, and, and think about uh, the catalyst for change, which was the murder of George Floyd, and then really start to think about what actually has changed, right? So what's been accomplished? And so this is where we'd like to hear from, from all of you, um, uh, the people from all over the country here. Uh, what kind of things have you seen in your, in your schools, uh, in your uh, particular um, positions as administrators or faculty or staff? that changed at your school or changed in your place of business. Anybody wanna, wanna share something that's changed? Hi, uh, my name is Tyler McKenzie. I'm from North Carolina Wilmington's Catholic Campus, Mr. Street. Um, a change that, uh, a change at uh, my high school that was initiated after the death of George Floyd was the start of the first school-wide BSU. So I helped, I was in the first kind of group and generation that built that, and it's still going strong to this day, which 
Uh, three years isn't a lot, but it's good. It's something. And uh, I'm just really happy that the school is finally acknowledging that and getting it started. So that's that. Absolutely. You can get snaps for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing as well. Thank you. Let's see some other hands up. See right here in the, uh, is it like a, is that orange. rust colored orange? Is it? Hi, my name's Andrea. Um, I mean, I think the most, one of the most simple things that we've accomplished is just having more conversations, especially in our generation. Younger people are becoming more involved and yeah. advocating more and trying to find leadership roles um, in order to, you know, accomplish more yeah. so yeah no fantastic thank you for sharing the, the conversations are critical you see other hands up see in the back in the red i see your hand up uh nothing my school said nothing yeah. uh same private uh definitely jesuit creighton prep in omaha uh yeah. after the events of george floyd's murder uh, we went back to school nothing was said uh student body talking a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't understand it. They weren't, you know, they didn't get to it. And I guess as time went on, we, we really, I don't want to say push it on the rug, but they just didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. uh, alarming being, I don't know, being, being a kid from one of those neighborhoods too in that city, mm -hmm. it's just weird how like you go home and then that's what's going on. You know, right. there's, there was right. another death. Uh, this kid, this kid named James Sherlock died at police brutality in uh -huh. my city. Uh -huh. And uh, I go home and on the corner store, there's a, there's a mural dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. And they go into my school, not hearing his name said at all. Right. Uh, it's just uh, more so a lack of representation on my school. Right. Right. Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. You keep going down. Hi, uh, my name is John Itesh. Uh, I come from Boston College High School, and um, I think one thing that I've seen being that's been accomplished is the fact that more people are being held accountable for their actions and Absolutely. for um, behavior they've uh, they've endured in the past and stuff like that. And I think it's um, I think it's good that you know we're getting to a place in which we're more comfortable holding people accountable for their actions, and we're getting to a place in which like we have no, like, we're having these open conversations about uh, the, the, these different types of uh, ways of discrimination and racism we're seeing. Right. right. No, absolutely. Certainly. We can, do, uh, we can do one more, and then there'll be other opportunities to, for, for sharing, but we'll go ahead and, and do one more, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead. So I'm not actually with um, any Jesuit institution. I'm part of a parish from Church of the Holy Family in Virginia Beach. Mm -hmm. Um, but the Diocese of Richmond, throughout the Diocese of Richmond, um, after George Floyd, we did uh, the racism modules from Just Faith, and a core group of us journeyed for 30 weeks learning about racism. And thereafter, we created a network across the diocese. We have about 20 parishes mobilizing. And like, for example, for Black Catholic History Month, 12 of us collaboratively across the diocese moved together to celebrate it, to lift it up. So what we're trying to do is to get to critical mass so that we're not the not just the minority anymore, but the majority to flip the diocese so that we move and we, we um, essentially move the bishop and move the leaders to stand behind us. Because right now, essentially, they're afraid. It's a hard right. topic. And leaders are afraid because if they're the only ones standing there and no one's behind them, then it's really hard. So. Right. That, that, that's, a, that's the best segue that... And it's so organic. 
So let's let's thank you. First of all, thanks to everyone who shared. Uh, appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing your experiences, and making yourselves vulnerable in that in that way. Um, we greatly value um, you willing to to lend your voice. Um, but appreciate the segue because uh, we're here to talk about, or at least begin a conversation on on missions, right? And uh, there are some critical elements to to uh, a mission that's espoused by by an entity, right? Um, uh, typically, missions embrace the Catholic identity rooted in gospel values, right? Um, uh, they might center a lot of them on, on the Eucharist. Um, there is often a commitment to this idea about faith, uh, faith uh, uh, that, that, that seeks peace, that seeks to bring us all together, right? This idea of um, being persons foreign with others that we often hear. Um, and, and the focus is not on some members of the parish or some members of the school or some members of the college university, but all people, all people. So I think that's really important to think about. Missions tend to be overarching, right? Um, and it's important to just think about what is sort of embedded within uh, a lot of the missions that we might interact with on a, on a regular basis. Right, and I'd also say that's oftentimes where our friction is. As I listen to my, my young brothers from Omaha, uh, from Creighton Prep, right, it's that we have these sterling mission statements, these unbelievable values or vision statements. Um, our websites are full of, of videos of people of all kinds, shapes, and spaces doing these amazing things on our campuses or in our parishes or our universities, right? And so at the heart of, like, doing the work is, like, how do we actualize that? How do we really... Um, turn these unbelievable words, these things rooted in our gospel, and turn them into um, actionable ideas or, or our practices, our way of welcoming folks, our way of helping folks feel like they belong in our communities. Um, and I really think um, at the edge of that, right, are, are, are the people. Like one of my favorite things with, with, with Nate, he's all, we always talk about it, I'm going to butcher the, the, uh, the quote, but um, Dr. King's quote about the moral arc of justice Right, um, and that I'm um, sorry that it, it bends towards justice, and and, and Nate is always telling me, uh, and I, I don't want to mess it up. I know there's someone who was with Dr. King who, who talks about the idea that it was bent because people moved it, and that's that's really the the, the genesis of, of really trying to have these conversations. So think about your young men out there and, and your struggles, is how do we help uh, folks understand how to move those things? And I think that gets a little bit to the next slide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the, the segue, as we highlighted, is, is really great because uh, one of the challenges that Jamal and I see as we enter these conversations and, and you know, we email with people back and forth who follow the podcast is this idea that um, people understand their missions. They, they know what they say. They can read them to you. They can highlight the basic tenets. But the mission is seen as one thing. And we often get this question, like, I'm really struggling to do DEI work. And we'll say, well, wow. And I say, well, I can do the mission work. But then it's hard to go and do the, do the DEI work. And Jamal and I always say, well, they're actually one and the same. It's actually the same work. So, uh, so people do see this as a source of conflict. Fear is real. Real. Right? That, that is a big part of this, right? Is who is standing behind me? And if I step up and say this, it's going to cost me my job. Is it, does it mean I'm going to have decreased funding? People are thinking about donors and, and the like. So uh, one acknowledge the fear. But what that often does when we hesitate, right, or when we avoid engaging with our mission 195 percent, 
um, we see a lack of clarity, right? We see students starting to come up with demands. What are demands about? Holding the institution accountable to its mission, right? So people look at demands and they'll say, oh, why are students, students are saying, well, you said you'd do this. And we see this. So what's up? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need some clarity here, right? Um, uh, faculty and staff have certain expectations at, at institutions. And when you know, a manager is allowed to stay in a particular role for a long period of time, when their track record isn't the greatest with respect to mentoring or respect to respect and dignity, that's a problem, right? Um, and the same things we've seen happen uh, within parishes across the country. So ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, um, is this a challenge? Is adhering to our mission a challenge? Mm -hmm. Or is facing that fear and engaging with it an opportunity? Right. Who's in the room? To, to that end, right? I think I think our opportunity, and I, I don't mean to answer Nate's question <laughs> as we throw it out there. First of all, I would say clarity is kindness, right? And I think as 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 I think about in the room, um, what we should be holding our leaders to, and and and, and though I'm only 18 months into my journey as a principal, um, I, I must certainly now understand what it means to sit at the top of 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 the hierarchy in an institution. Um, and one of the things that I pray for myself every day about is to be very clear about uh, what it is that we're trying to do. Um, and I do think uh, we have these beautifully written words, but how do we, how do we, how do we again, hope, be transparent, be accountable, um, and, and clarity is really um, kindness. So, so um, again, um, for, for my DEI practitioners, there's a lot of people in here that I grew up in this work. Um, one of the things that I think we would um, all admit to maybe cautiously but truthfully is that at the top of our a lot of our institutions is a, a level of willful ignorance right um, Nate talked about um, folks that want to parse the work as separate and apart from the daily operations of our institutions right as you guys go back into your communities right I think the challenge um, and I think you've got to do it in a way that is, uh, is successful is to really bridge that gap of ignorance or that lack of experience that often is at the top of our institutions to this work, which is one of the things that really was uh, the genesis of the podcast. Um, candidly, like at one point I was calling Nate, like, man, I got asked to another Zoom meeting with another principal or president who was trying to figure out how to write a statement post-George Floyd. And I was I, not exhausted. That's not the right word. I just kept a little bit, but, you know, I was leaning on on Nate. I was leaning on Deverall. Um, and if either either we're gonna have to get folks, you know, beyond this willful ignorance, or we gotta get new folks in those seats. So, um, you know, seeing you all here gives me gives me hope, and uh, and that's that's really uh, I think where we're at right now. Yeah, I, just to, to oh go ahead, Deborah, you want to comment? Amen. 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 And the reality is this work is one and the same and it is mission, right? It's mission driven. And I also say it, it's rooted in Catholic social teaching, right? So if you just do what's on the board, right? The mission, if you do what's in the document, I wouldn't even have a job. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
because there would be no need for me to do this because we'd all be engaged in it. And what is so exciting about being here is that we are often expecting people of color, the, the folks who fit in the marginalized spaces to do this work. And so it's so refreshing to see others in this space. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're gonna get to allyship, but like one of the things I'd love to hear is your philosophical position on that. Like, where do we need people to stand up? I don't need you to stand up when I'm in the room. I need you to stand up when I'm absent. Amen. And what does that look like? And these young people are doing that by being here today. today. They're willing to stand in the gap. So I appreciate this, and it affirms all of the work that we do in this DEI space. Thank you. Uh, and I'll, I'll let Nate get his mic, so I'll, I'll answer that. Um, in some respects, I think where I'm evolving, and again, maybe it's because of my positionality, this is everybody's work. Right. And, that, and that, in some respects, right, the reality of it is our institutions are built with hierarchies and responsibilities and that's how we value people and you know we get into all the different systems and, and really in capitalism that drives that so that people have a job description but the reality of it is i think if any institution is doing this well this is everybody's work i'm talking to my colleagues in the room that are are, are teachers or, or any of those spaces I, I i know you may be in institutions that have a dei practitioner or a coordinator or a director, or in the case of Deborah, a vice president, um, and they are brilliant people. Uh, but this needs to be in our lesson plans. Um, this needs to be the way that we welcome our students when they walk on our campuses. It seems to be the way that we think about our kids as they go through whatever issues that might include some type of disciplinary action or correction. Um, this is everybody's work. Um, and most certainly, I think where the allyship comes to fruition in my brain, Deborah, is that. Um, where I think they're the bridge that that those of us that are doing the work um, can help offer is is pathways to educating, right? To getting folks experience, uh, to getting them the right books, to getting them the right um, opportunities to to change the way that they look at the world. Thank you. No, I, I agree with you, Jamal. And I think uh, thanks to Raw for for your words, and I know they come straight from your heart, so it means so much. Um, but with respect to allyship, I always think about Long before we get to allyship, uh, I, I always share with my colleagues, uh, I need you to look in the mirror and ask mm. yourself some tough questions. Mm. Uh, because so often we hear, you know, people uh, historically oppressed and, mar and marginalized will hear, we stand with blank community. We stand with you. I, I, don't, I don't think of marginalized and oppressed communities as needing help standing. They've been standing <laughs> for a very long time. They know how to stand. We know how to stand. What we need is for people to look in the mirror and ask yourself some difficult questions. When you hear things about said communities that with, with whom you want to stand, and none of those community members are around you, <laughs> do you listen to it and let it go? Or do you look at your friends and say, no, we're not going to talk about that. If that's how you feel, please leave, or I'm going to leave. But you will not say that in my presence. When you're in your homes, and, and perhaps your children are saying something they heard on television, they saw on social media, do you correct them? Or just let them go along with it. Our family members, those will be some very difficult conversations, right? Some, some, some parents, more seasoned individuals who have some perhaps old school attitudes about things like race and sexuality and so forth. Are we asking them why they feel that way? Are we challenging those ideas? When we do those things, then we can talk about standing with marginalized and oppressed communities. But, but if we don't, then, then we don't have right allyship. Mm -hmm. 
We don't have it. So I want to make that point. The other thing I wanted to share was, um, and I see some hands up. We'll, we'll, we'll try to work our way towards some, some, uh, some, some comments. Um, is that this, this idea around fear, I, I think, and we've talked about this on the podcast, is really rooted in, in fear of conflict. Uh, I think most of us who do this work, or even interested in the work, should know this work is littered with conflict. Yeah. It's about conflict. Right? So if, if we're trying to avoid conflict, there's no way we're going to do this work with full hearts. Right? Jamal and I sometimes have conflicts. <laughs> That's okay. Yep. That's fine. Because it's not the conflict that matters. It's how you handle the conflict. The growth is in the conflict. So if we're avoiding conflict, we got to start all over. Right? And then lastly, I just want to say, um, when we think about missions, uh, and just from a personal perspective, the, the way I learned uh, um, to be very raw and candid who Jesus uh, was and is, was my mother would always say, well, Jesus was an activist. So when I would see photos of Jesus, you know, kind of like this or like this, my mom would say, yeah, but Je who was Jesus hanging with? Yep. Who, who's in his crew? I'm just going to be real, real raw. Who, who's he rolling with? Where's he going? He's going into the fray. He's going into the dangerous area. He's dying for it. So when we think about fear and, and conflict, and if we really are trying to be Christ, like we're really trying to live up to our missions, then let's, let's live up to our mission. Let's, do, let's, let's challenge institutions to do what they say they do. That's being Christ-like. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I feel like we just had church. My bad. <laughs> Sorry. No, we, we talk a lot, and we can get to the next slide. We talk a lot about um, our roles, really, <laughs> and uh, as veterans, right? It's inspire the next generation, right? Again, as I go back to the beginning, right? Nate and I are both Catholic schoolboys that navigated spaces, um, which we were one of the few, right? That and and then often lauded for things from athletics to academics that led us on to next things, uh, colleges and spaces like that, and even careers before um, coming back to education, right? Um, you know, young. As I look around the room, particularly for 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 those of us that are, that are folks of color, like um, I hope you're inspired. Right, and and there are young people younger than you um, that you can also be talking to and, and thinking about allyship that that Deborah was talking about is reaching back in our communities, right, and to showing young folks the way um, and and really helping them feel full and know who they are. And I think about my man here going back into his community, right, and and that feeling. Um, you know, I wish I was in Omaha so I could lift him up and let him understand, um, you know, that he's valued. Though, though he might find that at school, there's other ways to help him feel valued. So, so one question that you know we certainly are sort of opening it up for for discussion or for for people to sort of expound upon. But what's left to be done then? How, how do we ensure that we know what missions are? We know our missions, right? Many of you can recite them. So, so what's left? Some things have been done, but so this work does not end, right? What else needs to be done? And we can look at it in a couple of different ways. One, uh, our friend that shared about the BSU, right? What's, what's next for the BSU, right? Is it a meeting with the principals? Is it a meeting with administrators on a regular basis? What, it's, not, it's one thing to have a BSU. That's great. That's a start. It's not where it ends, mm -hmm. right? So, so what has happened, maybe on your campuses or whatnot, that needs to be escalated that falls within the mission, if that makes sense to everybody? So we can maybe take some more comments. Um, and I see, I know there's a hand up in the back. 
the blue sweatshirt with the gold writing. I promise we will get you. If I got a, I'm gonna walk back and give you this mic myself. Blue sweatshirt with a gold writing. All right, who's got the blue sweatshirt with the gold writing? Right? Okay. You got it. You All right, cool. I was willing. I was about to do it. You know, it took a lot for me to come down with these bad knees. I appreciate there, you, and thank you hey. for uh, letting me distract you with all of my hand raises. Um, so I'm a teacher at um, a school that serves 99% black and brown students that's led by a leadership team that is all white. Um, and so our work in the last two years um, was student-led. Um, about six months after the murder of George Floyd, our D&I director left. Um, and that position was never replaced or, or refilled. Um, so the work was kind of in the students' hands, um, but mostly in our, in our faculty. And so what our work looks like right now, um, or the only thing that we've been allowed to do, is build out equity and justice in our teaching. That's where kind of all the energy has been put is, um, you know, the school can do this through the teachers, through the classroom. Um, my question is, knowing that there's so much left to be done and that it is riddled with conflict is, um, and especially for Mr. Adams, as a school leader, y'all named fear, um, you named willful ignorance. If I'm a teacher trying to seek clarity in my leadership so that I can have the hard conversations so that we can actually envision what the work looks like for us, what else is getting in the way? For school leaders, um, and what enabled you to push through the obstacles that come up? Yeah, that's a hello. Okay, sorry, <laughs> a phenomenal question. And um, oof. so um, I, I start with um, I, I, it, it feels like a trite answer, but persistence, right? In terms of of of, of a constant kind of dripping on those leaders that maybe aren't formed. I think I think the other way, um, and I'll, I'll just be candid about myself, like in, including my my brothers and sisters in here who are part of that discernment for me was that I knew I had to get in the room, and now that I've been in the room, and I, I, I'm not in the Jesuit school now, I'm at a, a LaSalle Catholic school, um, and I don't want to speak ill of of my colleagues, but as the only one often in those rooms, at least now I can dispel when. You know, the idea that, oh, my God, we're overwhelmed by woke, woke parents. Somebody said that in one of these rooms, in one of these spaces. After I collected myself, took a deep breath, right, um, and, and, and I was hearing my brother, I, I, I stepped into that space and, and, and took about 40 minutes of those folks' time to, like, really have a conversation. So, so we need more people in the room, um, part of it. And, and I, I apologize if, if your leadership is not hearing you. Um, I, I would say that our institutions are hierarchical. And I know it sounds bad to say this, but it may be a step above, and there might have to be some pressure from above if, if that even exists. Um, finding more allies that can have those conversations, right, that can, can hopefully change the perspectives of those folks. Or, you know, I, I, I hate to be as radical as this. Again, we need new leadership then. We need new leadership then. So I, I, I would, a couple things. I would say be persistent. Um, I would say uh, find allies, and I hope, uh, the third part I would say is I hope I inspire you to be a leader and be in the room and, and to be a change agent at those highest levels of, 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 our, of our hierarchies and our institutions, and God willing, you know, if enough of us get up there that we can, we can make a title change going forward. I would say please engage in self-care. Please, whatever it is that centers you, 
please find it and 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 commit to it um, because this work will will drain you. It, it is a marathon, not a sprint, for various reasons. So we can also chat after if you want to talk about that. Thank you for your question. Um, let's go. Uh, Just for uh, clarity's sake, they're telling us it's a hard stop at 845, and we're pushing up against that. But we're going to stay. Yeah, we'll stay. Maybe we start recording, but we're, we'll hang out. But um, go ahead, Clarissa. You can get to our next one. Uh, this isn't really a question, but some more, to, uh, more response to your last question. Uh, my name's Yasmin. I actually go to Creighton University, and I want to affirm, yeah, Omaha, not a great place in terms of DEI work, especially not our private Catholic schools. Um, but my response to your last question is that institutions, especially higher ed, they need to put their money where their mouth is, and especially in terms of mission, because we have money. And I've seen the numbers. I know what our, um, that big number that we pushed for divestment, like I know that that's a lot of money that they're dealing with. Um, and if they're not giving scholarships, if they're not doing what they can be doing with their money, then that's also saying something. And you can pull out the receipts on them too. So highly encourage people to look that up. Okay, all right, appreciate it. Hello, uh, I'm Cameron Powell. Uh, I go to Seattle U, I go to law school there. This is my third straight Jesuit institution. Um, so that as an as answer to your, to your previous question, there in my mind there are two things. One is that institutions and faculty staff have to understand that anti-racism to its core doesn't means not necessarily the lack of a negative, but the presence of a positive. Because just because you say that there is no racism does not inherently mean that you're pro actively preventing racism, discrimination, and xenophobia at all levels, um, especially at an institutional level. Secondly, uh, to follow what Yasmin said, the multiple student groups, students in general, feel like the institutions do not give them any power, autonomy, agency, and they feel like they're more so pieces to be put up on uh, donor pamphlets and emails and newsletters. They feel like they're pieces on the chessboard rather than students who have stories, agency, humanity that deserves to be honored, respected, and listened to. And so at a core level, uh, I really think that if institutions gave those affinity groups, those students, more of an agency to, to help that school be what it says it should be, and not quieting them, not saying, oh no, you can't post an Instagram post calling out whatever government. No, you can't post that newsletter. You can't put flyers around campus. Instead of quieting those creative new voices about what they believe they want their world to look like, I think the school should, as, as, as uncomfortable it may be, as however many donors you may lose, in my opinion, it is much more worth it in the long run to be who you say you should be and you can be and for, and for that to be led by the people you bring into your institution. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great point. And, and one of the things Jamal and I talk about a lot on the podcast is uh, for institutions uh, that feel like they're losing donors, again, conflict is in the work. So you may lose some donors, but guess what? There's some other donors that come to the table and say, oh, you're doing the work that way? We're in. Right, so a lot of times we, we can't look at it from a, a deficit-based model, but look at it more from an asset-based uh, approach. So great point. Thank you for sharing. Some people, I think, in the back over there. In the back. Some folks. We got lots of people that's got something to say. Um, 
Hi, I'm Rocco. Oh, How are you shoot. doing? Shoot. Uh, I go to Loyola High School. Um, I worked <laughs> with the um, successor of Mr. Adams, um, and basically we implemented a an event that used to be at Loyola, but it died during COVID called CubFest, uh -huh. which is basically the implementation of ethnic and affinity groups, um, and they're allowed to share their differences, and we do um, cross-cultural collaborations for one day, but... Um, to answer your question on like what we could do, because you mm -hmm. know we implemented this last year, mm -hmm. um, and um, what we could do is like why just let it be that day? Right. Like why 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 do these cultures and these affinity groups need to be celebrated one day? Like the the um, the Atlas, which is the Latino club at our school, mm -hmm. it has a hundred fifty members to the point where the the streaming the service we use to communicate with those students um, can't handle us. So we had to create a whole new module on a separate website just for nice. that group. So I, I don't know why we can't implement uh, the, those clubs and give those clubs events and days to themselves Absolutely. rather than us, the students, having to go there and be like, have one day for every single culture because, right. frankly, there are way too many cultural, ethnic, and affinity groups to, to celebrate in one day if we're right. going to be real. So... Right. So I think that's what we're working on at the OEI right now at Loyola is how we are able to allow each group to be celebrated specifically as individual cultures right. and then have that day to celebrate cross-cultural differences, um, community and stuff like that. Absolutely. Great. Sounds fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, all right. All a lot right. of pressure, okay. Clarissa. Okay. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Oh, people are looking at you. Woo. Okay, um, <laughs> hi. My name is Paris. Um, I go to Crystal Ray, Baltimore. Uh -huh. And when you guys were saying, like, the mission statements and DEIs, I feel like our school does, like, a great job at that. Mm -hmm. We are mostly a black and Hispanic school. So okay. they, we, they, every year they give us a theme, like, you matter or rise up, accept the challenge. They give us these days and months and every day to celebrate ourselves like hispanic heritage march all month we're celebrating everyone in school um black history month we're selling everybody and i feel like they do a great job at including everyone and they leave it up to the students the students do it like and we just say we feel like this is not going right and they they get it done okay so i just want to say like i know everyone has their differences or like their school isn't accepting the challenge or doing that part but i want to acknowledge my school like my school like does it Fantastic. They're, they're there That's on great. it. And, and again, for, thank you thank you for sharing. I just want to highlight, and I think uh, my good friend over here said, when, when, when we're having these conversations, it's, it's not necessarily saying that somebody's at the bottom or they're, they're terrible. Uh, Anti-racism is really about the consistent engagement, consistently trying to get better. Um, I'm sure we could talk about some really great things that happen in a lot of schools represented in this room, but that doesn't mean we, we stop there. Right, so even if it's good, even if it's great, we're we're striving for perfection, which we may never get to, but but the the chase is worth it, right? So that's kind of what we're. We don't want anybody to think that we're down in their school. Or, and I love the fact that you repped your school. That's fantastic, and to hear that you all are being uplifted and affirmed in that way. But we want to make sure that everybody understands, especially around the word like anti-racism, where people think, oh, this is the worst, and we're that's not what we're saying. So I just want to make sure we're clear on that. So. Hi, my Hi. name is Mina Malcolmson. Hi, I'm Mina. <laughs> I'm from Buff Jesuit, um, from Indianapolis, Indiana. Nice. Um, so our um, school, our BSU, um, we have 
really one day where we try to have every like affinity and like equity group uh, come together as one. And so like BSU and MSU and everything like that, um, like we call that a cookout. And so we try to have this cookout to include everyone and have everyone into one space. But um, we have had some feedback of um, that people, non-people of color, like white people, um, they just don't feel welcome in that situation or they don't feel like, they feel like it's just for like black people. And how do I combat that from having them feel you know, safe and welcome in this space as well? Mm. Uh, first of all, thank you for sharing. Uh, what's the um, racial composition of your school? Um, we're, yeah, we're predominantly white. Um, we, I'm saying, yeah, we probably have like 12% of black people in our, in our school. Okay. So I, I think that's where we could start, right? <laughs> is, is, let's talk about feeling welcome, yeah. right? Like, like, I think it can be expressed uh, in a couple of ways that one, um, perhaps black students don't feel as welcome in and around and throughout the school in classrooms and extracurriculars and all kinds of other spaces. Uh, and so, you know, th this is sort of how it feels. The other side of that though is before the event, I think it could be articulated to everyone in the school. Uh, this is the purpose of the event. This is a celebratory event, right? And the event is not focused on you. The event is to highlight this particular group or this is, is designed to get us all together so that we can have a certain kind of dialogue or interaction. So I think we run up, people have challenges when they are used to getting a certain amount of attention or they're used to the spotlight being on them, but it changes. I think you know we can set people up to have realistic expectations if we have a conversation beforehand. On that note, I just would say clarity is kindness. I like what Nate said, right? I'll be very clear about what are the goals of the BSU and why that space is needed. And I know that's not easy. It may cause you as students to have to speak truth to power uh, but know that you aren't the first or the last group that has done that, and I just would affirm, right, that clarity is kindness. Let them understand what your goals are and why that um, space and that opportunity is needed. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, last question. Um, my name is Gerilyn Brown. I go to Cabrini University. So I have a question. So I'm on the exec board of BSU. We, last year we had a protest on campus against the racism that happens on campus and public safety. So like a lot of people sign up, but most of them don't come to the meetings. And we kind of thought like the protest would actually get people to come, but um, still. So do you like have advice for that? Um, I, th I think, uh, first of all, thank you for your work and, and for what you're trying to do on the campus and for sharing that example. Uh, there could be a number of reasons why people uh, may not be showing up. One, one might be, do they fully understand what the purpose of the activity is? Um, another one could be uh, fear. Um, and another one might be, I'm here to go to school, not get engaged in these activism efforts, so you know it, it, it's a sad reality, but I'll let you all do the activism, I'm getting ready to go to class, right? Um, people are gonna have their different reasons as to whether or not they show up for events like that. How many people uh, ended up showing up? Um, sometimes at least 10. Uh, sometimes. Then I, uh, I know this may not necessarily be the answer, 
but I would say uh, uh, do not be weary of small beginnings because 10 people is, is more than one, one person and those 10 voices might go further in the long run than you might initially think. Uh, going back to the idea that um, a lot of things are embedded in college campuses. Uh, we could do a whole two or, th two or three teach-ins on uh, what's embedded in policing and public safety. It's a whole different conversation. But um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So today it's 10. We don't know what it might be in a couple of months or next school year. So I say continue building, uh, uh, keep the faith, um, and continue to do you and your nine colleagues. You all continue to hold it down. Right? And if people join, they join. But your cause doesn't change if they don't. I'm going to pass it there. Well, I'm at 30 seconds. I would say um, coalition building is combat sport. Right? Consistently, you've got to be in there. And I would also say that, that um, I would ask you guys to just think about how are you engaging? Are you, what, what kind of connections are you building you know, from a human to human standpoint? So what I mean by that are, are you really spending some time narrative sharing, understanding where people are coming from? Understanding what might be, as Nate said, some of their issues, consistency, fear, oh, they may not think it's effective, right? You can't, you, unfortunately, a lot of that work is gonna be done kind of one-on-one -on -one, um, in small groups where you can address those things and then, and then maybe that ha has an opportunity to increase your turnout. So I'm gonna pass it to Deborah over now. So thank you, we're gonna close out because we know we need to get back to the larger session. I just wanna say quickly, you ask what's left to be done. And what I've heard here is a lot of programmatic effort, right? So young people, I wanna encourage you to, to put some pressure on your administration to move from programmatic engagement to institutionalizing work. That's when you see transformation and change happening in your space, and they're becoming more welcoming and more inclusive. Um, I wanna thank Dr. Sessoms and Mr. Adams for...